Talladega Super Speedway falls right into the middle. Round two of the Cup Series playoffs. What a run! Blaney gets to win stage one. Those guys in the outside line are making me so nervous. Now that inside line will momentum as Reddick gets shoved out. And the five surging ahead. Now the nine. Will Chase Elliott stay behind him or will he try to win stage two? Elliott's going to win stage two. Nice work. Two laps remaining. A shot to advance in the playoffs for Ryan Blaney. We see the nine of Chase Elliott slide to that outside line. He's going to try to take the lead with a little help from the 43. Elliott has the lead. Blaney with momentum. He's not going to get there. Elliott's going to win to Talladega. What a move by Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott was in jeopardy of advancing into the round of eight. That is no more. He has locked himself a spot in the next round of the playoffs. Well, that's how it sounded when Chase Elliott became surprisingly the first playoff driver to win in the playoffs of the 2022 NASCAR season. Welcome to NASCAR America. Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett, the mayor, Jeff Burton, Steve Latart here for a post-Talladega uh, version of the NASCAR America show. Normally, we'd be talking about chaos and wrecks and DNFs, but we have a little bit different rundown today after that race. Joining us later, though, Pete Pistoni. From the morning drive is going to be on. Talk about what the fans are talking about and give a call one eight four four NASCAR NBC and give us your thoughts. DJ, your thoughts of a very interesting Talladega weekend. Uh, interesting, uh, good racing, um, and every race that was there, I think. Uh, but we'll talk with, about the Cup race. Very interesting, and a word you don't use uh, in the Cup Series much at Daytona and Talladega in particular. But respectful racing, I thought uh, as I watched. Uh, the drivers. I, I, you know, I think that they uh, realized what they had and that where they were in groups seemed to, to make a difference as to how they drove and things that they did. But uh, uh, highly entertaining, no doubt. And, and the move that Chase Elliott uh, made to get himself on that last restart, uh, you know, I know that he made that move there coming to win stage two, but what he did on the last restart there, it, it, the gap that that the 12 car uh, put on everybody there uh, with, with the push that he got, gave him an opening. But a lot of people wouldn't have been ready to make that move at the time Chase did, and, and that was impressive. You know, I, I, number one, I don't need the big wrecks to have a, an no. enjoyable race for me to watch. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that the, the, I saw a lot of aggressive driving. It was interesting, three wide really never worked for whatever reason. Um, maybe the early wreck, when they tried to go three wide, there was an early wreck. And maybe everybody went, oh, oh, maybe not. Maybe we don't want to do that. I don't know. But really didn't see a lot of three-wide. But side-by-side side, all day long, uh, some mistakes on pit road that we normally see. Uh, it was an intense race. But it wasn't that race where we saw all the multi-car wrecks. And I'm good with that. I don't have to see wrecks to enjoy a race. Uh, I, I, the, the, the strategies that some of the drivers played, uh, you know, Joey, watching Joey Logano not be aggressive on a super speedway was very odd. Yes. I, it reminded me of when uh, the time Dale, Dale, Dale Earnhardt Jr. did it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what are you doing? Why are you riding in the back? And, and it didn't yield the result yeah. that they were thinking it was going to yield. And I think that, you know what that's going to do? That's going to make the Daytona 500 that much crazier. Because now, <laughs> you know, hey, we tried this and it didn't work and everybody else was watching. And it was interesting to watch people kind of afraid to get in the middle and, and because they had this, these points, they had these right. points, and they didn't want to leave there with a deficit. Yeah, we're definitely going to cover how this race looked, because it did look differently. But for the 18th time in his career, Chase Elliott went to victory lane. And perhaps more importantly, for the second time in his career, his fifth win of the season. The last time he won five races in a season was his championship year in 2020. I think we may debate a little bit whether he's now the championship favorite or not. But you mentioned it. Great moves on a green-white checker, which is how this race ended up. Let's listen to the race winner, Chase Elliott, break down how he thought he won the race in that final dash. Talk to the man himself. We were bragging about those moves you were making, Chase, at the end of that race. You need to tell us about that decision to get out of line with about three laps to go and get in front of that 43 car. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, Eric gave me a, uh, gave me a great shove. You know, owe, owe a lot to him for, uh, for sticking with me. Hey, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, for sticking with me there, and I just felt like, you know, when I got clear of the top lane, I just thought that was my only opportunity. I, I wasn't I didn't really want to be in the top lane, to be honest with you, because, you know, the guy behind you has options. You know, the people on the bottom don't. 
uh, you know, as far as pushing you or not. But that was the only way I was going to get to the lead, and, and it, it was either going to, you know, work out or or uh, or not in a bad way. So I just felt like that was my opportunity, and um, you know, we had a really fast Napa Chevy all day long, and, and obviously a great. Uh, you know, a great Chevrolet teammate there in the 43, and Eric Jones, and, and he, uh, yeah, gave me some unbelievable shoves that last lap. I mean, I, he was locked in my bumper for uh, the entire lap until we came off of four, and I was able to pull Ryan back just enough to get by him and then, uh, you know, just uh, barely edge him out there at the line. So that's what Talladega is all about, right? So, Chase, right here when, you know, you guys are side by side, Blaney actually, he's actually able to get back in front of you. Were you thinking you still had a shot? Yeah, I, I was... You know, I've seen enough of these races to know that the start-finish line so far around there, you just got to stay, uh, stay tucked up. And I, I thought if our lines stayed together, uh, that, that we would have a shot when we got back over there. So, you know, fortunately that was the case. I saw the 34 kind of come off the 12, um, and it, when he came off his back bumper, it gave me an opportunity to go down there and side draft Ryan and pull him back a little bit. And then uh, I was kind of worried he was going to have too big of a run for me to block, you know, at the line. But uh, fortunately, we were you know close enough to it to. Uh, to stay in front. So it was just one of those days, man. Well, that's what the green-white checker looked like, and that let Chase Elliott join a pretty impressive list of multi-time winners at Talladega in this race. DJ, I'm going to start with you. I think the move to me, and he said it the best, it was the friendship of the 43. Not on the backstretch, but as they're coming to one to go, that 43 kind of falls back to the one, and he gets a huge run. Yeah. Um, and in the spring race, I'm wondering if the 43 doesn't pop out of line and try to make something of it, you know, to help himself go to win. Mm -hmm. But instead, he pushed a teammate. You've done this. You've won at races like this. How impressive is this move from the nine to change lanes in what appears to be a very small hole in front of the 43? Yeah, and it's right here. The bump right here from the 11 is really what sent him and gave him, I believe, the confidence he needed. You know, just trying to pull up there on your own, uh, all of a sudden you're going to hit a wall of air there. And, and the next thing that happens is you're hung in the middle and they start going by on both sides. Uh, but he didn't have that. Uh, Eric Jones did a really good job there. I think he... I believe that he felt that he might be in the best position there to, for himself, if they could stay in this order, to pop out uh, through the trial on the last lap coming to the checker. But, you know, he, he, Eric Jones is becoming one of the smarter drivers that we see in this type of racing, I believe, that, that he really understands where he needs to be and the momentum that he needs and how to get himself in that position. And, uh, yeah, certainly... It, as many races as you win, there there are only two guys that I can really remember. Well, maybe three. I'll take Chase's dad, who had the fastest car ever in NASCAR and just passed everybody on his own. But the other two drivers that could make things happen were Dale Sr. and Dale Jr. Uh, seemed to be able to do it more on their own. Everybody else has had to have some pretty good help along the way if we were going to do anything. And then you mentioned the points, and I think that's what we're seeing right here. Two wide still. At every Talladega race I can remember, we're three wide already. But these drivers don't make moves until into the trial. Now we're starting to see three wide right here where the one of Chastain goes to the outside of the 43. We're almost all the way through the tri-oval. I believe that has a lot to do with guys trying to protect those points. They didn't want to make a mistake to early lose those points. Yeah, I, th I think we saw that mostly with Ryan Blaney. You know, coming to one to go, uh, Chase was out there on the outside. Ryan had a couple seconds maybe to get up there and block that run. Chose not to. Now, you just heard Chase Elliott say he was afraid to be on the, He really didn't want to be on the outside lane. When he said, because they have to push you on the bottom, it's because they do. When you get lined up on the bottom, cars on the outside, there's nowhere to go. You get in the middle, people can get, out, get on the outside mm -hmm. of you. So I think Ryan was afraid to make a move that could cost him a lot of points. Worst case scenario, he, without a wreck, worst case scenario, he's going to get a decent finish by staying on the bottom. And I think that had everything to do with his decision. Well, you mentioned some of the other players. It was an impressive run for Chase Elliott. But why did the race look that way, right? There was a lot of talks about concussions. We had a fiery wreck in the truck race. I mean, there's a lot of ingredients to the soup of what we saw on Sunday. Let's listen to some of the drivers that took part and get their opinion on that race. We wreck all the time. And we thought, boy, we got a, a big points lead. Let's just be smart. They'll, they'll wreck. And... Uh, We'll be able to, to get out of here with the top 10, assuming they would wreck, because they always do. And, of course, the only time I've ever laid in the back ever uh, was today, and they didn't wreck, so go figure. But, yeah, the, the, the goal and the plan was to 
race for stage points and then drop to the back and wait for the crash. Uh, I hate racing that way. I wish I could have scored more points. You know, that first stage, we were kind of on the borderline. I probably maybe getting one or two points and decided to bail, hoping that they were maybe going to tear some stuff up. And, yeah, I mean, I'm glad, obviously, none of us tore up today, but was kind of surprised that uh, we didn't have that happen. Yeah, I was able to give Chase to, to push right there to get to the outside, and I thought about should I go with them and kind of force the 43 up, and I'm like, you know, on the bottom, I always know I've got somebody coming with help behind me. I know i got McDowell. Why did you go with them? I just, you know, then I'd be in the middle, and it just the risk wasn't worth going back to 15th, you know, if I ended up getting stuck in the middle. So to, to me, it, this is the three-race season that you have, you, you points race. The three-race season that you have from, I think, one of the most analytical drivers we have, Denny Hamlin. I guess the question is, do you agree with that approach? Say, Let's say Denny Hamlin. Because it's a long trek for him to win from where he was. I'm not saying he couldn't, but it would have had to been a stack of good positions, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Say he did 43 up and gets that move to the outside. Do you like that aggression, which could cost him 10 points? Or do you think he's going to smile when he leaves the Roval looking back, just happy with the finish at Talladega? Yeah, I think he's happy with the finish at Talladega. Uh, I mean, he's one of the, if not probably the smartest driver. I was talking about Eric Jones figuring things out. Denny Hamlin's had him figured out for a long time. You don't win three days on a 500 without having, having this stuff figured out, getting yourself in the right position. There really was not going to be a hole there. The chance that Denny Hamlin, if he tries to go where he was gave that push to Chase, the chance was going to be that... There's not enough room there. If he goes, there's no doubt the 43 and the 1 have momentum. They're coming. Denny Hamlin's going to be stuck in the middle uh, at that particular time. That could have ended up 15th, and then he's got no points. I, I like what he did there. There were there were still opportunities if he could get somebody to his bumper here in the last couple of laps, being on the inside. He minimized that, and, and I think that was his really only choice. I mean, he was one Toyota up in there amongst yeah. everybody else, so he didn't have a lot of friends as far as manufacturers and teammates go. Best case scenario, he was stuck in the middle. The other side of that is he's flipped upside down down the back straightaway <laughs> trying to make that hole, right? Yes, there wasn't right. a hole yeah. there. He was going to have to shove Eric Jones out of the way. Eric Jones is a hungry driver. We know how Ross Chastain is. He ain't lifting for anything. Nope. And so, you know, Denny Hamlin made Especially the right not move. Denny. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Denny Hamlin made the right decision. And listen, I want to say something, too. For all the fans that say we want points to matter, yeah. points matter. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the drivers are going to race accordingly. They're not... You, they're not as crazy as everybody thinks they are. They're not the daredevils that just are not calculative. And you had some drivers late in that race. Look at Ryan Blaney. He's in good position in points. Yeah. He made a decision. He's 32 points good going to the Roval. Like, yeah, it would have been great to win the race and move on. But the risk that he was going to take was that he could have been 15 points to the good. There are a lot of cars in that pack. You make a bad move, it would have been easy to lose 15 spots, 15, 18 spots. So, yeah. you know, I, don't, I, I think that they raced smart. I think they raced the way that they needed to. Even Chase's move, that wasn't an exceptionally aggressive move. Yeah. It was a decisive move, but he didn't make the hole. He didn't push somebody out of the way. He didn't do any of that. He made the move when the hole presented itself. It was just a much cleaner race than we expected. And, and the reason I think it was is simply because of what Joey Logano said. He said they always wreck. Yeah. He meant we always wreck. Yes. But he said they, they always wreck, right? So you, you look, put a, get in a driver's mindset. The year that we've had, the craziness that we've had, all the things that have gone on from Daytona till right now, what are you supposed to think is going to happen? Sure. So you bring it back a little bit. You're like, hey, we know it's going to wreck. I'm not going to be the one that causes it. And then we get a race, a respectful race. Yeah. I'm okay with a respectful race. I'm perfectly okay with it. Everybody had the same opportunity to win. Some people did better at it than others. Well, I actually appreciated. Um, so they wrecked about 100 times, just they never went back. I mean, they, they didn't lack pushing. That's no. what I think I want to explain. The, the race I saw, there were 15, 20, 25. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, like I was jumping up there in the booth. Kyle Larson, one time, I swear I saw his right side door number <laughs> off turn two, right? Yeah. So it wasn't lack of aggression. It was something different as far as maybe a little more space. I wonder if instead of being three wide, being two wide, when you get crossed up, you have an extra 10 feet to kind yeah. of get before you start pinballing. You can actually catch up with the car a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but we were just on board with Joey Logano. I, I want to talk about Joey Logano. This is a driver that has been in a lot of wrecks. He was upside down. This was a calculated decision by either him, him and his team, a combination of both. 
Um, I was shocked. I actually thought there might be damage on the car from the wreck that he got in that just didn't want to engage. I was shocked that he didn't get up there and, and fight his way out. Now, he's plus 18, so it didn't, it didn't kill him. You know, he's still fine and above uh, the cutoff line, but I guess it's easy on Monday to agree that it didn't work. I guess what was your reaction to see him even try that strategy? So, so the, the, the thing that I heard from Joey on, our, on the radio after he got in that first wreck uh, was I knew we shouldn't have been here. Mm-hmm. You would have never heard Joey Logano say that. You know what I mean? He was always, I got to control this race. I got to get to the front. I got to control this race. The minute they dropped the green flag, I got to fight for track position. Right then, early in the race, that wreck happened. I knew we shouldn't have been here, right? But also knowing he needed stage points. So how are you going to be get stage points if you're not there, right? So, yeah. so immediately you, you felt and heard the indecision, the uncomfortableness with the situation they were in. They were, they were playing prevent defense. Yeah. Simply, that's what they were doing. And they literally played it to the green-white trailer the last couple of laps, that final restart, because they still anticipated that there was going to be a big – there was no reason not to anticipate, especially going this far into it, that there wouldn't be something that happened before they got the white flag that was going to eliminate eight, ten, possibly more cars than that, and then their strategy ends up working out pretty decent. You know when they'll know if they did the right thing or not? Yeah. Sunday afternoon. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Robo. I agree. But this whole week. Yeah, going to question. This whole week, they're going to question, did we do the right thing? Did we do the right thing? And that yeah. adds pressure to this week. Yeah, with one of the best at this type of racing that there is. Right. You know, we talk right. about Denny being so good. Joey's always right there, too. Took the, but he took a lot of cars, uh, tore up cars home. In my opinion, they took the ball out of the hands of the guy that be, should be taking the shot at the end of the race. Mm-hmm. He should be taking the shot at the end of the game. They took the ball out of his hands and played it safe. We'll see on Sunday. I'm not saying he did yeah. wrong, but that's what they did. Joey's one of the best plate racers in the business, and they took it out of his hands to go execute. Let's see if it works out or not. So before we go to break, real quick, uh, we heard from Chase Briscoe. He mentioned stages. Shucks, I only got one stage point. He had a decent day. He ran 10th, but he did only receive one stage point. He's on the cut line. Um, we all talk about stages, but I felt like this was the most defined race to each stage end that we've ever seen because it wasn't even just the drivers the strategies were to get to the stage end mm-hmm. i mean tyler reddick ran out of gas a half a lap from the stage end or a quarter lap from the stage end. i mean the commitment to run three separate a mains has never been more clear in my life 60 lap a main have a water four tires 60 lap <laughs> a main have a water four tires take a deep breath and now we're going to run 68 68 laps to the finish um are we surprised it was truthfully, you know, that well-defined? And will the Roval be any different? Because I don't see it being any different. I don't see how it can be for this, uh, for a certain group of drivers in particular anyway. Um, I think that they have to, to look at it like that. Even back to Christopher Bell, who's way back. But, you know, a, a first and second in the first two stages, then he can look at things differently. And we talk about these points, you know, and where everybody is. And you, you take a look at, at what Blaney has. Uh, you talked about a, a good run. And he still gave himself a good chance to win, possibly win the race there at the end. But he's plus 32. And then you have Ross at, at plus 28. Those are okay. Everybody else could lose the points that they have on the last lap of the race at the Roval. So how can you not be aggressive in the first two stages in trying to gather some more points because if you go in thinking that Denny Hamlin at 21 can't get the wrong thing happen going into turn one um, at the Robo on the last lap of the race um, and and because we're going to have 30 some cars on the lead lap uh, all of a sudden you finish the last car on the lead lap you've lost everything that you thought you had you know I haven't put my fingerprint on it yet but I think DJ might have touched it what makes the finish of Talladega and the Roval so dangerous is just that you know at Bristol we got 15 cars in the lead lap and yeah. a mile and a half you might have 20 or 21 so once you see the white flag you you know the worst you can finish yeah until you got all the way through the trioval there was over 30 cars in the lead lap at Talladega there will be over 30 cars lead lap at Roval yeah. Man, you didn't make me feel any better now. Now we're going to have to get all the way to the checkered flag to count all those points. <laughs> well, let me give you something to feel good about if you're a Chase Elliott fan. He just became the, without a doubt, favorite to win this race on yeah. Sunday because he doesn't yeah. have to play oh. anything except win this race. Yeah. Yes. And so now the guy with the most stage point, with the most playoff points by far was just armed 
with that much more opportunity to go get some because yeah. he does not have to worry about when he pits. The only thing he has to do is worry about how he's going to win the race. Yeah. Tyler Reddick, Chase Elliott are the two favorites to win this race because these other guys, whatever they got to do, whatever strategy they got to play, they have to get stage points. Now, that doesn't go for if Alex Bowman can race. I hope he can race. It doesn't go for him nor Christopher Bell. Those two guys, they, I think, can throw, I think they can throw stage points out, forget all that, and they can play for the win as well. Yeah, now the problem is they're going to the Roval, which is two short stages and absolute chaos. Kyle Larson won with an alternator issue. Chase Elliott won after hitting the wall. So <laughs> it's unlike any other place we go, and that's what we're going to talk about. After the break, we're going to take a little peek at the races that are going to finish out the season. We're also going to talk about the big topic of the week. It can't be avoided, the safety discussion all week leading into Talladega. as the road to the championship four in Phoenix makes the next stop. Here comes Jimmy Johnson. Oh! Truex gets tagged. It'll be a fight for the finish line. We wondered who would win the 500th race for Team Penske. It has been decided. Make room, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. There's another seven-time champ. Kenza takes him out. Logano into the wall. Caution comes out and the crowd roars. Kyle Larson, a dominant performance. And today, he's a Cup Series champion. All right, Cup Series is coming to an end. Five races left. Playoffs is hot, fierce, and every single one of those races is going to be on NBC. So check us out. The racing has been great. I expect that just to yeah. continue on. Look at the tracks we're going to, an incredible variety of tracks. Homestead, Miami, circle that one. That's going to be fun. Just had a test down there. A lot of good reports about how competitive the cars were down there. So looking forward to a lot of good racing coming up on NBC. So, guys, we had a lot of conversation this week uh, about safety. Alex Bowman injured last week. Uh, he was out. Uh, drivers are concerned about the, the rear impacts, overall impacts. We've seen the injuries from all the rear impacts. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm okay with drivers expe- expressing their concerns. I'm okay with drivers saying, hey, these things hit too hard. We need to fix it. Uh, NASCAR is committed to fixing it. Uh, where do you stand on all this? So silly as it may sound, I don't think the conversation really is about whether the car needs to be adjusted or not. I think everybody's already bought into that. NASCAR has said it. Drivers have said it. What this really comes down to in my mind is this new car and what is an acceptable design upgrade window of time, right? We all have iPhones. You get an iOS 12, an iOS 13, and it's constantly updating. This car, in my opinion, will never stop being updated. It should never. There should be a list forever about what the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Much like when you built cars and you built cars and I built cars, right? You're always continuing. So, so in my mind, this conversation isn't, hey, the car's too stiff. Yes, we all agree. No argument. There's no debate. Yes, we need to fix it. Once again, no debate. The question is, we're 30 races into the season. Is that an acceptable amount of time to run without a change, right? And I, I think that's really what we're hearing. Because even the drivers knew NASCAR was working on it. What I heard from the drivers were, enough. We know you're working on it, but like their patience have run out. We had another driver injured. So, DJ, that's how I look at this, right? This debate isn't about whether safety is a priority or not. It's, it's a question of, are, is the priority of safety, what does that look One week? A month? Six weeks? I, I don't have the answer. But I will have to hedge with the drivers that 30 weeks in, does seem like, I mean, it's a long time to see these cars hit as hard as they do and then continue. It baffles me to see how hard they hit where drivers say it hurts and then they finish the race. I mean, the car obviously could be adjusted. Uh, easier said than done, but, but it, sometimes you have to kind of force it through. Yeah, there can never be too much talk about safety. How do we improve it? Um, what are the real things that are happening here? Um, you know, it comes at a time that, you know, the NFL is going through uh, certain things too, you know, because, you know, priority is there for the competitors. And, and that's what we're talking about here is driver safety. And, and, you know, things that we see where drivers normally would just, you know, tear up a car and, hey, we'll bring out another one and everybody's okay. Now, now we're finding that that's not the case here. Um, the, the, the issue with the new car is that, you know, there were a couple of things that happened early on, and I'm talking in the development of this car, where drivers that had crashes uh, in 
in tests with this said that it felt different. It was a lot harder, and, and nothing was actually done there. But I know there was, you know, there was a time constraint there, and, and no one was injured or talking about that they had a concussion from that or anything. So nothing to get uh, too concerned with at that time. The, the problem is now we're in the middle. We have been in the middle of a season. Now we're towards the end. Nothing's actually been done. And I don't know that anything could have. I, you know, I'm on the driver's side here. Uh, you just don't want to see this happening. I just don't know what could have taken place at this point in time. So I, the, the voice has been loud, and I understand. I, I have no problem with Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin getting out and expressing this uh, and talking about it um, in the media to a certain point. But now we don't need every week in there. We all understand that there is an issue. It has to be resolved. It has to be fixed. NASCAR has agreed to that. I know you've been in discussions. Uh, and you, this is going to happen, but it, it can't happen overnight, you know. Um, it just can't, it can't take place that quickly. And, and so, um, you know, you, I know a lot, I had people texting me, calling me yesterday during the race. Are these guys not racing because of, of what's been happening? I said, are you not watching these guys? They're driving the hell out of these cars. I mean, down the straightaway, the leader of the race, Ryan Blaney, it was everything he could do to keep it between the, the white line and the wall a couple of times. And uh, so they were going hard. I don't think that's in their mind. But, but certainly, you know, as a driver, you have to think about that a little bit. And then once you get in the car, you put it aside. But they, they have to voice their opinion. Uh, again, the, the real issue here is there's not a quick fix. Uh, to this, but there is a solution, and I think we're in line for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's the frustration, right, is that we, we, we got to this point with the new car, uh, the rear impacts, you know, that if you wrecked a race car uh, in the old car, that was the impact you wanted. You wanted yes. a rear impact because all that would fold up, and it just, it, something it hurt, but it, it, it hard, rarely did a driver get hurt with the rear impact, and now we have two drivers that are hurt from rear impacts. And that's where the frustration is. It feels like, oh, gosh, we had something that worked pretty good, and this one doesn't work as good. And now the time it's going to take to get it done. And that's, that's you know, so you got this frustration, and you got this good side, right? And, but the good side is like, hey, it's not here quick enough. We've got to get it fixed. We just heard Alex Bowman. Because one, one thing this garage will do is we'll fight and claw and scratch and be horrible individuals to each other in competition. But when one of us needs help, the garage rallies around, yeah. and, and that's what the drivers are doing now. They're rallying around Alex Bowman. They're out rallying around Kurt Busch. They're rallying around each other saying, hey, this guy right here, this is my guy that I race against. He, does, he doesn't deserve to get hurt, and I'm going to fight for him. I got complete respect for that. I do think we can do it in a respectful way, <laughs> and I think we can get things done in a respectful way. NASCAR has committed uh, to the drivers to make some changes, and they are going to make those changes. So, you know, it's some bad stuff and some good stuff, and it just is what it is. All right, we got our first caller, Wayne. I'm sorry, sorry, Ray. I don't hear so well, Ray. Hi, guys. Hey, no problem. All right, uh, just going back to the Bowman incident at Texas, he had that accident. You hear him on the radio, not sound in it, you know, kind of sounds a little bit in distress. Do you think, and there's still 70% of the race to go or so at that point, do you think NASCAR should step in and maybe – pull a driver off the track if they're expressing any type of discomfort because it you know there was a lot of race to go and he's not just putting himself in danger of another accident and potentially making a bad situation worse but could also put other drivers in harm's way uh do you think nascar needs to change how they view a driver's health after an accident whether the car is you know capable of continuing or not ray that, that's a really good question let's go back and listen to watch the the incident and listen to Alex Bowman just to get some reference for anybody that hasn't heard it. Hang on to it, head back, head back. Keep it up there, keep it up there. We're in the wall, guys, keep it up there. Let the field come by before you come down pit road. Hang on a sec here. Done. I can't drive the rest of the day. I don't understand how this thing's still rolling. That's the hardest I've crashed anything in my entire life. 10 4. You just hit in the worst spot on these cars, bud. So it is, it is distressful to watch, yeah. to, to hear what he said, then see his eyes. You can see he's in pain. 
uh, that is distressful to watch. It's disturbing to watch. And, and um, it's a good question, Ray. You know, how should NASCAR be involved in that situation? Um, it's more difficult than in football. We saw a recent incident in football where a player went down, played the next week, went down again in dramatic yeah. fashion. Uh, that's out there where everybody can see. Yeah, so, so I actually have an opinion on this because I think I had a moment this weekend. I was talking with some people, and we were talking about these wrecks. And they were, they, these were some casual fans, and they were like, we just don't understand that they don't look very hard. But I know they are because the drivers are saying very hard. And I always say that because to answer Ray's question, I think that the crew chiefs, and I'm guilty, could help the drivers in this situation. I've never wrecked a car. I've never backed a car in. I don't know what is a big hit or it isn't hit. What I do, DJ, in my entire career is I kind of watch the wreck, watch the speed at which it goes in. Then, most importantly, I look at the damage. And after I look at the damage, I can be like, ooh, that's a big hit. We're all done or we're not all done. And I think we, we being the crew chiefs, need to be reprogrammed. That just because the car isn't damaged doesn't mean it wasn't a big hit. That would have never crossed my mind, and I'm going to defend Greg Ives. It never crossed his mind. He is in the minute. He is points, points, fix it, fix this, fix this. I think much like you heard the spotter say, get your head back. That is him with education trying to coach his driver through this accident of keeping his head back against the headrest. That's, that's learning. Now, I don't blame a single crew chief, but we could educate them, we being probably NASCAR, to say, hey, guys, help us out. We don't want to get in the middle here. They're your friends. They're your teammates. Just remember that these impacts are much harder than they appear because of the lack of damage. That's really this whole question. Because the simple answer, Ray, is I've hit that hard. The car should never roll again. Yeah. Martin Trex Jr. wrecked at lap 40 in Texas. He should have been on the truck. This car should have gone on the truck. Kevin Harvick's car should have gone on the truck. That's really all in one with the safety thing. But in the near future, DJ, I think let's, let's lean on the crew chiefs and the spotters. Hey, guys. Because no one cares about that. Like, that driver's your best friend, right? Like, no one wants to put him in harm's way. It's hard to, to co- you know, cover all 36. Maybe just, hey, man, help. Maybe ask these questions. Maybe, like, you're sitting on pit road. Maybe a little well check. Educate the crew chief to help give his driver a well check. That's where I think it could be. Because yeah. it's very hard for the sanctioned body to step in. Yeah, yeah, because we've come to a new year. You talked about the old car. I mean, you backed that in there like that. Oh. That wasn't a question. You were. Do we need casters yeah. or a floor jack? That's right. We've cool. got to figure out how to get this thing on the truck. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of how we're going to get right. it back on the racetrack. So, you know, we talk about all of the good things this car has brought us. Tremendous racing, new winners, uh, just in- incredible competition. But the side of it is these hard impacts, which that looks like you watch that and you just don't. Expect that much to come from. Now, you watch the end car that we showed there, and I realized that Tim put his head back, yeah. but even the t- it, it was two little jolts. And you could, it does, if you feel that as a driver, you would understand. You have to be in that position. And, and unless you've been fortunate to be one of the 38 or 40 drivers, or back in the day, 43 drivers that got the opportunity to drive these cars, you, you don't, you have no idea what that experience is like inside that car. And, and now to hear these drivers talking about how simple that is. Just going to have, as you said, it's got to be a different mindset from the outside now. You know, we we have doctors that once this happens, they keep people like Alex and Kirk from getting back in the car until they know they're ready. We have to make sure that they're not even getting put back out there even sooner than that. I think also that we as an industry, we need to encourage every driver, if you get in that situation during the race, and you know that you can't go, you have the permission to say, I yeah, can't go. That's right. Nothing and wrong. that has never happened before. Yeah. Now, it has happened post-race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, is, when did you hear, when has there, and I'm sure there's been an example, but this is new era. This is a new time where this, to your point, is the day over. Driver doesn't have to make a decision. Yeah. Now, a driver has to make, in Alex Bowman's case, he said, I can't race anymore. He needs to be given permission. And in yeah. no way am I saying that anyone on that team, had he said, hey, really, seriously, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody would have supported him 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need to tell young race car drivers, current race car drivers, if you just took a hit or anything else that's going on. Listen, I drove a race with a migraine headache and could only see half of what I was looking at for half the race. Stupid. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. dumb. You need to be, drivers, you have permission to raise your hand and say, I am done for the day. I am done for the day. 
And there's no shame in doing it. There's strength in doing it. Yeah. And you can, you know, be a leader. It's a different time. Alex Bowman did nothing wrong. It's a change of mindset. Yeah. It well, is a change and, of and mindset. And I don't want for like when he said that on the radio, we're listening for it. I've been um, it's interesting, right? Because you guys have wrecked and you know what it's like, to, okay man, how do I feel? I'm gonna drive this thing. Well, your checklist and my checklist are very different. As sure. soon as you wreck, no offense, I'm, I'm not listening to you anymore. I've moved on to my checklist. My checklist is I'm empowering this guy to do this, do this, do this. That's what that's what you want me to do. You want that car. Like to your point, it's kind of a new it's a new time for everyone. Right. Uh, that's why I think it's the driver should be able to raise his hand. The crew chief can encourage him, maybe ask the right question. You know, it's this whole moving system. It's not just a car improvement. You know, the process can be improved as well, and I think yeah. the teams can be a big part of that. Yeah, it's an extra. This sport's a constant evolution. Life's yes. a constant evolution. Yeah. We're always learning. We're always getting better. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be fortunate enough to have Pete Pistoni join us from the morning drive. He's had callers all day. Can't wait to hear what the callers have had on their mind and what Pete has on his. One more time around here in Talladega. Sam Mayer, where does he go? A big run out of A.J. Allmendinger. Through the triangle, Sam Mayer goes high to block, now low again. Here comes that big run. The 16 goes outside. A photo finish at the line. Allmendinger's going to get it. A.J. Allmendinger by 15 one-thousandths of a second. Once again, win number four already. Now he advances into the next round. Well, A.J. Allmendinger <laughs> finally got that super speedway win he'd been hoping for for so much. Now he goes to the Roval where he is uh, pretty close to undefeated, I believe, in the Xfinity Series. So He, he, should, he should trademark Let's Go. Let's, let's Go. That's his, that's his yes. deal. No matter what. Well, let's Go. Well, we let's go. go to the man of the hour right here, Pete Pistone. Pete, I'm sure it was a nice calm Monday on SiriusXM. Nothing to talk about after Talladega? No, it's been so boring. I don't know how we're going to make it to the end of the season, guys. <laughs> Monday shows, I mean... Always something to talk about. How can you not get pumped up watching the dinger there, by the way? Win that race and celebrate. I'm sure Mr. Tickles was having a celebration back in the bus as well, right? Everybody's happy over there over the dinger with the win on Saturday for sure. All right, so you said everybody's happy. Uh, Let's start with the complaints. Checker flags, black flags. Where did the black flags land today? What were the fans most upset about? Well, it's kind of a combo platter, Stevie. Uh, we had a lot of fans talk about what you guys have been talking about, how they felt the race was more of a depiction of the drivers not wanting to take chances because of all the safety discussion that we had. A lot of our listeners felt it was a very, air quotes, tame race at Talladega, and they felt it was because drivers were just afraid to make moves, and we didn't get the big one when we got one accident, which is one one more than we need, in my opinion. But a lot of folks felt like the drivers were a little on the tame side, and I I completely disagree with that. I mean, I felt like that was one of the best Talladega races we've had in a while. I I saw drivers make all sorts of moves. I saw drivers do what they needed to do at the end of stages, do what they needed to do at the end of the race, work with one another. I saw lines move there like you're watching. So I I disagree, but a, a lot of our listeners kind of felt that maybe the drivers pulled back just a little bit because safety was on everyone's mind. I'll say this. I went in with a little trepidation, a little more maybe than I usually do for Talladega because of all the discussion we've had for safety. But in my opinion, I didn't see that manifest itself on the racetrack. I thought those guys were trying for every bit of real estate they could, like any other time we go super speedway racing. All right, so what are the callers like? Well, they like Chase Elliott winning, Jeff. I know, surprise, surprise, the siren went off down there in Dawsonville, so the most popular driver in the sport. I mean, they like that, five wins for them. And and there was another side of of our listenership this morning that actually liked the fact that we didn't get the big one, that there was a lot of good racing going on, that down the stretch there, drivers had to work with one another and find a way around there. So uh, I think, generally speaking, considering what the backdrop was with the safety uh, conversation, I would say we were about 50-50 most fans liking the race and other fans thinking it was a little bit on the tame side. But whenever Chase wins, you guys know that. A lot of fans are happy up there in NASCAR Nation. 
Toby, I'll ask you this, that because as I watch the race and people are asking me, are these drivers because of what has happened, or are they holding back a little bit? I was trying to explain that there wasn't any, didn't seem to be any holding back. I think there were times that drivers in the past may would have stuck their nose in some places and didn't do that that would have created, but I think a lot of that is because we had so many drivers. I could be wrong about this, and you can disagree, certainly, but because the points are so close, they did, and they talked about points. We had that discussion a while ago about points do matter and they realized that if if they took that chance there it wasn't they were thinking about taking a chance of someone getting a concussion or getting injured that wasn't in the the mindset it was just that they needed to finish this race because we have never been in the playoffs where the points were this tight Dale, I'm with you on that. I felt like, you know, to put it sort of in football parlance, they were playing a little prevent defense, you know, hanging on to what they had to not be behind the eight ball going to the Roval this week and having to make something happen for the last race of this round. So I, I, t- I definitely agree with you. Uh, now, you know, some drivers I was surprised. I was surprised Joey Logano wasn't more of the mix there, to be honest with you, considering how he came into this race. He dropped back a little bit. But there are other guys there. You know, a lot of our listeners are asking, where was Martin Truex Jr. today? Well, he's not in the playoff picture at all. So I don't know what was happening with the 19. But I think the other teams that are in the playoff hunt wanted to make sure that they could do everything they can to maximize their time at Talladega. Because this has been the most, This I think everybody felt, this was going to be the most volatile round, the way this played itself out. So why put yourself behind the eight ball and get to the Roval with, you know, having to play catch up if you can get out of Talladega with a decent amount of points? And I think a lot of drivers took that approach and that strategy. I agree. So normally we go to Talladega. I agree with that. I'd much rather see drivers work with a scalpel than a hammer. Um, I thought it was still an aggressive race and I liked the moves they had to make. But I want to go through this top 10 because even without the big wreck and without the attrition, which was what I think some of us attributed to some of those good runs over the years. Well, let's, let's just hold on, right? Michael McDowell, third. We have Eric Jones, another repeat customer at Talladega, sixth. Todd Gilliland, seventh. Daniel Suarez, eighth. Cindric Briscoe. Landon Castle, 11th, right? So there are names that we don't normally see consistently inside the top 10, yet it didn't take the big wreck or the attrition. Um, Pete, I think that's kind of a, a good omen in my mind, right? We had a clean race, a race that it took skill. The driver said it was hard to get track position, yet we're seeing some of these smaller teams. I mean, welcome to 2022. It seems like even the smaller teams had more of an advantage or at least a better chance than in years past. Stevie, I think you're right. I also think we need to stop being surprised when Michael McDowell runs up front at Super Speedway. <laughs> this is the guy that won the Daytona 500. That's not a shock anymore. I was really impressed with his teammate, Todd Gilliland. I thought he did a really nice job staying up there with that race team as well. I think that they're definitely someone you should look at. Suarez has been running up front. Eric Jones, I mean, Eric Jones led as many laps as, uh, I think it was Eric Almarola. Those two guys had the most laps led in the race at some point, I mean. Or Ross Chastain did, actually. But Eric was up front a lot. So you shouldn't be surprised by any of that. And I think, again, another part of this season where you got this new car and some of the level playing field and some of these guys being just good at super speedways that was really refreshing to see some of those names inside the top 10 but again mcdowell i'm not going to be surprised anymore when we talk super speedway racing and that 34 car is near the front of the field like he was again on sunday i'm not surprised when he runs up front anywhere anymore. Yeah, i yeah, mean yeah. he really yeah. they run well everywhere all right so pete uh the roval the roval has been uh, a consistent source of craziness uh now we got the last race in this round of the playoffs what are you expecting this weekend Let me ask you guys, you're down there in Charlotte. What's the weather forecast? Because if it's going to be rain, I might have a different answer to my question here. I think that would be a little crazier. 66 degrees on Saturday. Beautiful. Beautiful. The only only place better than the golf course to be is going to be the racetrack. Perfect weather (laughs) for a race. Okay. Well, then I expect the unexpected. I know that's cliche, but why should that be any different? That's the reputation of that racetrack. And when you look at, back to the playoff picture, both Saturday and Sunday, by the way, there are guys who are going to have to make something happen down there, and we all know that's a really difficult place for that to, to happen. I think in a short period of time, the Roval has earned its spot where it is as the cutoff race in this round. So I expect more of the craziness that we've seen this year. And, again, are we going to get a different winner? I think we kind of put the whole – finally we got a playoff winner to win a race, right, with Chase Elliott. I knew it had to happen <laughs> sooner or later. I think that that the Roval might get back to maybe some guys that aren't in the playoffs anymore can make a make a statement there as well. But I think it's going to really out of, a lot of be a lot of fun. I think Chase Elliott, Alan Gustafson, they're sleeping well after they won on Sunday. I think everybody else is going to be up on the chip on Sunday, and I can't wait to watch it on NBC for sure. 
Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Saturday. You mentioned it. We started uh, this segment with the big win from A.J. Allmendinger. Um, are we getting any clearer? I know they're only in their first round. They're around behind the cup guys, but uh, we had Jeremy Clements, Ryan Sieg. I'll call them a little bit surprised guys in. Ryan Sieg still looking good like he could advance. Do you have uh, any sort of guesses? What's your Magic 8 ball say about Saturday and who we should be looking at for advancing into this next round? We see right here, right? Ryan Sieg, Sam Mayer, all guy are the three on the bottom. Hamrick Jones, Herps, the three out. Yeah, I have a feeling that we're going to see more of what we have seen before there, Stevie, because of the racetrack. I think you're going to see AJ up front. I think you're going to see Ty Gibbs up front. I think you're going to see Noah Gregson up front. I think, you know, Hemrick, Jones, Herps, Clements, they're going to have to make something happen there. But, I mean, those guys that I just mentioned are just so good everywhere we go. I think it's going to be more a little bit over a heavyweight battle of the guys at the front of the field there on the pack of the points in the Xfinity Series on Saturday than maybe we've seen in the past. And I'm good with that. I mean, those guys are so good. That's going to be fun to watch on Saturday afternoon. Well, Pete, thanks for calling in. I agree. Maybe Jeremy Clements, right? He's got a speedway win. He has a road course win in his career. Yeah, maybe he can have America. another walk-off yeah. win. Uh, he's had a little bit of trouble with his engine. But, Pete, thanks for joining us, man, and I appreciate all the insight. Good luck with all those callers tomorrow. Also, I'm sure they'll calm down as the week goes. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Always a lot of fun, guys, and we always appreciate when you guys join Bagman and I on the morning drive. Appreciate it. Great times. Sure great times. Thanks, it's interesting. That, um, that Xfinity Series race is going to be interesting because AMJ yes. Allmendinger is just so much pace. Um, I think he's going to be thinking. I think we have a caller. William, go ahead. You're on the phone here. Hey, guys. Good to hear from all of you. Yes, sir. Uh, so, Steve, my question is kind of more directed towards you with how much you worked with Dale in this whole concussion situation we're kind of in with Alex and Kurt. That kind of the gist of my question is, what happens with the point situation when, like, a Noah Gregson or um, a Ty Gibbs have to fill in for these guys when they have concussions? Well, that's a great question, William. So to try to keep it as simple as possible, and it happened this year, we've seen it a lot in Xfinity. You have a split owner and a driver entry into the championship. Let's talk about the cup and the cup only. We have a 2311 car in currently in the playoffs for an owner championship. I believe it's Ryan Blaney's car and Team Penske isn't in the owner's championship because he's the only one who had not won a race. So if Ryan Blaney goes all the way to Phoenix and wins the championship, when he stands on the podium, he's only the driver champion. There will be a different owner champion. Now, Bubba won a race last last, uh, round, so they are advanced through. So now take it to the 48. Now, the 48, they being Alex Bowman has out, so he's pretty far down. Noah Gregson did score points for that 48 car. I don't have the owner's points in front of me, but he's going to be below the cut line as well. Um, You never know. We'll have to see after the roll. I guess there's an outside chance that the owner could advance and not the driver or vice versa. So we... But it's a separate championship, as odd as that may sound. Now, what is celebrated on the stage and what is celebrated on TV is purely the driver champion. There is some money involved and a trophy involved for the owner. And we've had many split Xfinity Series owners. But the car doing a burnout is normally the driver champion. Joshua, you're next on Motormouse. Yeah, thanks, gentlemen. My question is about this next gen. It's put on some great racing all season long and it's probably been one of the most competitive seasons we've had since the early 2000s 19 different winners already but all these concussions that we've had sustained by drivers they've left them out for at least one race including Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman and I find it very disconcerting to the entire NASCAR community as we all know Alex Bowman's in a must-win situation at the Roval when he returns and Kurt we all know is also out of the season so when they return to racing how competitive will they be when they return? I had the owner championships, oh. driver championships. This is on oh. you drivers. You know, it, as far as a, a driver goes, it's not going to take any part of the competitive spirit inside of you. When you're, when you're cleared to go back, and, and you're now cleared by doctors, it's not your decision as to when you can get back in the car. I, I don't think that the drivers are going to think anything about this other than the fact they're hoping – just like every other driver, that, that this situation can be remedied. Uh, it's not going to happen uh, in these last five races uh, that that's going to happen. Uh, but they're gonna, you get back in the car and you go. That's just what you do. Um, if, you're, if you have concerns, as soon as you get in the driver's seat, 
those concerns go away. I don't care what's going on in the world. Uh, that was It's always the place that you went. didn't matter what was happening in your life and around that. When you get in the car, you put all of that aside. So they're, they're not going to think about, well, what happens if I crash? Well, your best thing is to go be competitive and, and not get in that crash, and, and everything's going to be okay. But it, there, there is concern from everyone, and that's why the, 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 everybody is pulling together uh, at this time to make it, things better for them. I mean, I hate to say this, but I'm just going to tell you the truth, is that there are a lot of injuries you never hear about. Yeah. And there are a lot of drivers yeah. that are running around that, that you don't know they're injured, and you, you don't know it. And, and uh, he and I both have been in situations that we should have taken ourselves out of the car, and we didn't. It's a different time now. Uh, where drivers are raising their hands saying, I'm not well, I need to get out of this car. And there were times that people would be out there still racing. Yeah. And, and, may, and that's, that, that's, thank goodness we've moved ahead of that. So if you want to get back in that race car, go watch the Ernie Irvin story. Go watch, yeah. you know, you go look and you really remember Dale Earnhardt broke his, you know, got a big wreck at Talladega, sat on the pole the next week at Watkins Glen. If you want to be in that race car, you're going to bring it 100%, and, you, and that's behind you. Now, you think about it during the week in regard to how do I prevent it, right? But it doesn't come in, once you sit in that race car, it doesn't come into your mind about, oh, I'm driving, I don't want to get hurt. It just yeah. doesn't work like that. Well, guys, that was a good discussion, and it was yeah. a big week at Talladega, but from one chaotic oval to another chaotic roval. We're going to talk about the roval and the next race, the last race in this round next. Fear would come in at the Roval. Just the desperation. The restarts are just. Keselowski, Larson both into the wall. So hair raising. Two years in a row, the race leader has dove into turn number one and slammed into the wall. It's a lot of carnage, honestly. Craziness can happen. I'm looking forward to the Roval. That's, you know, when they first said that we're going to run that racetrack, I'm like, say what? And yeah. then, you know, watching the races there has been incredible. We got a caller. Let's get right to it. Anthony, go ahead. Yeah, so I've been looking at the playoff standings, and although Daniel Suarez is above the eight ball, I don't think he'll be advancing to the round of 12 due to how badly he's been performing at the Roval since it's been out of the schedule. Do you think he can possibly advance the round of eight? How about it, DJ? Oh, I believe so. Just uh, let's think back to Sonoma, I believe, and his road racing skills uh, were put right there. And I, I think that, I, 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 as I've told everybody this year, anything that you look back and say a driver was really good here or was terrible here, this race <laughs> car has seemed to take that away from you. If you were good, it took it away. If, if you were bad, it took that away. So it kind of put you in the middle. All right, James, we only have a few seconds. Go at it. Hey, guys. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, between William Byron and Alex Bowman for Hendrick Motorsports that are below the cut line, uh, which one of those drivers do you think uh, will have the best chance to win at the Roval and advance to the round of eight? I think William Byron has a great chance, James. It's a great question. He's currently 11 below. The appeal for his penalty of 25 points will be heard Thursday. There's a chance he gains some points. Uh, we'll have to just wait and see. But I think William Byron has found a way. I don't think it's going to be spectacular. I don't think it's going to be a race-winning car. But they have found a way to just kind of be where they need to be time and time again. If it wasn't for that penalty, they would be above. I expect them to claw back uh, at the Roval. Well, let's go. it's a lot on the line at the Roval. The Roval, I think, is the second-hardest racetrack behind Darlington on the circuit. Yeah. We know we're going to see great racing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Can't wait for you guys to join us. Remember, NBC this Sunday and for the rest of the year. NBC. Favorite hotel of the year this week. <laughs>